0: Ephesians chapter number four. We'll start maybe in verse one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up above all heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's all we'll read. That's more than we'll ever be able to cover. Um, but Paul here writing to the church of the Ephesians and he begins, I the prisoner of the Lord. So at this time, naturally in the flesh, Paul was in prison and, um, these group of four, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those books written about the same time when Paul was in prison, sent out to the churches to try to strengthen and help, and what a help that the Word of God is. But we see here in this the um, the equality of salvation and yet the difference of the gifts. So if you'd think about that just for a few minutes, He says for us here that we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So walk worthy, it means to walk appropriately. Uh, And and in Philippians chapter 1, you'll see uh, the same word, but it's translated just a little different. Let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. So uh, you could say that here, that we would walk Uh, becoming of the vocation of the invitation which we're called. So uh, uh, to bring it down maybe to the way I can understand it, as you've received this calling of God, walk like you've received it. As God has called you, God has brought you into His family, our lives ought to be appropriately reflecting what God has given us. So he says walk worthy. He says He saved us in Timothy saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. So this calling came to us, not when we were working for and earning, but when we were in sin, God called us into this salvation. And you think about a call, and you know, uh, in a sense, every time the gospel is preached, there's a call that goes out. uh, And you can look in the Psalms and see... That even nature, even the the rising of the sun, even the the beauty of spring and all that the Lord has made, there's a calling in a sense in that, revealing that there's a God and a creator that's put all these things together. But this call here, this is an effectual call to the heart of man, a a regenerating call, a, a resurrecting call that man that's dead in sin, man that is blinded by deceit and the devil and darkness, this call comes and awakens man out of that state and brings him into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. It awakens him from death. It awakens him from the bondage of sin that he's been in and translates him out of that into a new kingdom. And if I've received that call... If God has called me out of sin and brought me under now uh, out from under the kingship of Satan and into the kingdom of God, that the Lord and the Spirit is now the, the ruler over me, you would expect that my walk would be different. So he's not saying anything earth-shattering here, but he's saying if you've been called and God saved you, you ought to walk like it. Right. So with all lowliness... And meekness, so lowliness, humiliation of mind. Meekness is gentleness. He says in Romans chapter number 12, and there's several scriptures that what we read, he says the same thing, but maybe in a different way. Romans 12 is one of those scriptures. In Romans 12 verse number 3, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So as you begin to walk in this way, the first thing that, that he addresses, he addresses it here, he addresses it in 1 Corinthians, he addresses it in Romans, is my mindset of me. Because the the first place that leads me to falling is when I begin to rise up in pride and think that I'm something... And there's all manner of scriptures all through the book that reflect that. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Pride cometh before a fall. So what ought we to do? Well, we ought to, as he says in Romans twelve three, we ought to think soberly. We ought to think that, you know how I got here, it wasn't according to my works. It wasn't because I was doing so good in this world serving God that God rewarded me with salvation. You know, that's never happened. uh, No man or woman that's ever lived on this earth has ever earned their salvation. If it was earned, then it could not be a gift. All through the book, he says, you've been given the gift, the gift of the Son of God, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of redemption. All of it was freely given and unearned by man. So uh, for me to think of myself as something that would be above you would be foolish. No, we're to walk in lowliness, in humiliation of mind. We're to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think because as that begins to creep in, the, uh, the higher and the, the greater that I think of me, the greater my opinion of self is by nature the less I'll think of you. The greater I am, the less you are. And that is not the way that the life of a Christian is to be. In our world, it's all about who's best, who makes the most money, who's got the most stuff, who, who is the best at what they're doing. Man wants to be built up. Man wants to be prideful. In the church... It's not about man anymore. It's about God the Father who brought us into this family. So if I'm going to think soberly, if I'm going to walk with lowliness, I'm going to have to recognize the source of my salvation. That it was not me that had anything to do with that, but it was this calling of God that came to me as I was serving sin. And with meekness, with gentleness... Now you think about being gentle and how that the Lord is gentle with His people. That when, uh, of all people, if the Lord could have been mean to anybody, I deserved bad treatment because that's all that I had ever given to the Lord. My whole life, I had been bad to the Lord. And maybe bad is not... Maybe that's not a great word there, but you know what I'm saying. I'd never done anything good for the Lord. I'd never been mindful of the Lord. I didn't think high, I thought higher of myself than I did the Lord. And if God could have been just uh, and righteous and holy to have done me any way in the world that he saw fit. He could have talked down to me. He could have pushed me down into the field that I was in and left me there. He could have called me out of this world into the judgment. But do you know what he did? He gently spoke to my heart. And he didn't yeah. do it in such a way that it would run me off or make me afraid but He called me in such a way that it humbled me and drew me to Him. Now, if I'm going to be brash, if I'm going to be harsh, it's not going to draw anybody in. You see that? But the Lord who is meek, the Bible says of Moses that He was the meekest man in all the earth. Well, the Lord Jesus was greater than even Moses was. And a smoking flax, a bruised reed, He'll not break. He was meek and gentle and lowly in heart. And He condescended to all manner of men, to the publicans, to the sinners, to the drunks, to the harlots, the filth of this world. He wasn't brash or harsh with them, but he was meek in his dealings with them just as he was me and you. And you know, you look at the church today and they're sinners of all different types from all different walks of life and the Lord who was meek with them. So me having received the gift of God me who God dealt with in meekness and gentleness, me who God drew me into Himself, though I had done nothing to deserve it, I ought to walk with that mindset and say, if God rewarded me with this, this is the way I ought to walk and be towards everybody else round about me. It's with lowliness, with meekness, with long-suffering, long-spiritedness, So I think a long-suffering, and this is the way I would say it, putting up with it. Now, you look back in your life and tell me what the Lord has put up with from you. You talk about something that if you're really going to think in truth at what the Lord has put up with from you and it doesn't humble you in some way, then you're not thinking right. But the Lord is long-suffering with our foolishness, with our ignorance, with our hardness, when, uh, when God even plainly and clearly speaks through His Word to our hearts and it doesn't satisfy me and I, I don't like that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to have to live that way and we want to stub up even against the very Word of God. He's long-suffering and merciful and kind with us. And so the church is to be long-suffering forbearing one another in love. So that word forbearing, it's a picture of putting one up against another. Morgan's daddy broke his leg, so he needs help walking. You put yourself up under him, and you bear him. You're bearing the weight off of that leg. That's the picture that it gives. So in a sense, you could say putting up with one another. So the Lord is saying all this, and we'll get ahead of ourselves just for a second and maybe look back at that, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So what is the goal of all of this? That the church be in a place of unity, a place of oneness, a place that our hearts and minds would be together be in agreement, not one exalted above another with the same goal, the same desire, the same heart, one for another and for the community round about us that we would be, and to endeavor, that's showing that there's some effort made here. Effort that the unity be maintained down at the church. And now, with all different people from all different walks of life, if there's going to be unity, there's going to have to be a coming down in my mind. I'm going to have to be lowly. I'm going to have to be meek. There's going to be times that things get on my nerves. I'm going to have to put up with that. We're going to have to endure this to, in order to maintain the unity down at the house of God. You know what our desire ought to be? That things always be right. Paul said in the Corinthians, he said, if you're wronged, why don't you suffer it? for the good of the church, for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something higher and weightier behind the church than just fleshly matters. So there ought to be a willingness (coughs) to forbear one another, to put up with some of this, knowing how God has put up with and endured us throughout our life. (coughs) Ought we not be willing to put up one with another, recognizing this, that my own ignorant ways and my own foolishness, somebody's probably going to have to put up with me too. So, the, the desire ought to be that we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the ligament of peace. So as God has given the church this gift, As God has saved, and the church, that word all through the New Testament, it's a compound word in Greek. It's a calling out of. So there's the church that was in the world, that was lost and undone. He's called out of the world, and it's a bringing into a congregation. So the word church means to be brought out of the world, and into the family of God. And as God has brought us out and into His family, we ought to be willing to lay aside every difference that would be had when we come down to the house of God and desire that there be unity around the Word of God and in the Spirit of God by the peace that God has given every single one of us. (coughs) You know, if I say, well, I'm above another... There's not going to be any unity there. But I'm going to want to be separate and above in your mind and in my own mind. So he says, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called, in one hope of your calling. So he's going to go through this, and we've heard this scripture here our whole life. But he's going down through this list, talking about our salvation and how that we got where we are. So there's only one body. The church of the living God, and I realize this, there's a local body here. There may be a local body up the road. There may be another local body down the road. But no matter what the name above the door is, no matter what the people that are inside are, if it's a church where there's people that God has saved They are all members of one body, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the same Father. They were born of the same Word of God. They were brought in by the same call. They were saved by the same power. They've received the same forgiveness. They've received the same mercy. They've received the same long-suffering. They are indwelled by the same Spirit. And God is working in all and through all. There's not one above another. Do you see the unity of all this? One body, one spirit, that as Paul, who was indwelled by the Spirit of God, there's not a secondary spirit that we have. Uh, the preacher doesn't have a spirit that no one else has. It's not that the one is more saved than another is, but there's one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope of your calling that as Paul was guaranteed a home in heaven, so are you. As we are guaranteed a home in heaven, so is everyone that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one Lord, one Savior, one person that gave his life, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ one faith and one baptism so how did we come in we came in by faith where did that faith come from from the persuasion of the spirit the faith even was a gift of God so there's one faith one baptism so you think about that I realize you know there's places maybe that don't believe in uh, full immersion in baptism but I don't believe waters here, what he's talking about. But we were baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit of God baptized us into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and we were brought up in newness of life that our sins be washed away. And one God and Father of all. So if you're in the family of God, God was your Father that brought you into this life. And if I'm in the family of God, the same God and the same Father brought me into this life. You know, the Corinthians, they were having an argument saying, well, Paul was preaching when I got saved. And another said, well, Apollos was preaching when I got saved. So, you know, Apollos, he's a better talker than Paul is. I believe I'm better than you. And the other said, well, Paul, he's he's one of the greatest apostles. I believe I'm better than you. But do you know where Paul points them to? That it was God working in Paul. It was God working in Apollos. And all they were were the instruments that God used to call you. Well, you know where our eyes ought to be? That if we're here, we were born by the same God and the same Father. Too many times our eyes get hung up on man. And that's, where, that's not where our eyes and our hearts ought to be. There's one God, there's one Father, and everyone that's born into the family, they're born of the same Father. You get in the same way that I get in, the same way that anybody else that's ever been born has gotten in. And so what is there then for me to think higher of myself than of you? Is there any place in this salvation that I can say I've done better or more than you have. He says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I believe in chapter number 4, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? So two questions. They're elementary questions, but they're questions that when we answer them correctly... They're they're deep beyond measure. He says, why are you puffed up one against another? What do you have that you didn't receive? Everything you've got, where did it come from? You can think of that naturally, but I think just the spiritual side of it here, if you've got anything in the Lord, you didn't have that to begin with but it was given to you of the Lord. And if you're any different than somebody in your family, if you're any different than somebody up the road and down the road, if you're any different than uh, somebody that's in the church, why preacher, them people's lost. Well, you were lost too. Them people are drunks. Well, you could have been a drunk too. But do you know why that we're different than they are? Do you know why that we're in the family of God today and they're not? It's because God has brought us here. Amen. If you're different, it was the Lord that did that. Who makest thee to differ? What hast thou that thou didst not receive that God freely gave to you? So if then, if the only reason you're different is because of the Father, and if everything you have you received from the Father, then he says this, Why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? They were glorying as if they had went out and got it. That they had went out and earned it. They were glorying like they were the reason they were saved. They were the reason that they were in the family. They were looking at the others in the church and thought they were better. And in doing so, they were puffed up. And Paul says, wait a minute. Tell me what you have. God gave it to you. How can you glory in that? No, no, no. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all. There's one hope of the calling. There's one salvation. And all that are in the family received the same thing. There is a great equality in the salvation that God's provided for the church so that there's not room for one to be above another in the least bit. But in Jesus Christ, and this is is an amazing truth here, one you can chew on for a day or two, in Jesus Christ, the only thing that those that are saved can say is that God saved me and glory to Him for that. There's not one toehold in this plan of salvation for me to exalt myself. But it was God that wrought this in us. So now in verse 7, but so there's going to be a shift of thought here. Every bit that he said is true. There is one salvation. There there is one uh, God and Father of all. There is this equality where that there should be no pridefulness, no haughtiness, no looking down on anybody else, but that we're all here by the same way, by the same calling. And if it wasn't for God, we'd never been here. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So there's there's a difference here. There's an equality, but there's a difference. In Corinthians... 1 Corinthians 12, he says it this way. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. <coughs> there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God that worketh in all. So, as God here, God is given grace according to the me- measure of the gift of Christ. And now, he's going to reference 8, 9, and 10, a scripture in the Psalms that as he uh, uh, descended down from on high, he led captivity captive. Of course, this is referencing the Lord Jesus Christ who came down to where we live and move and have our being. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He ascended back to God the Father and in his work, he led captivity captive. And here's the picture from that. If we were captive to another nation, if we were captive to somebody in their house, and here comes another army, here comes another people, here comes the police force, and that person that had us captive, they carry him away and set us free. They led captivity, what had us bound, They led that captive. Well, that's what the Lord did. The sin that had us captive, the the devil that had us in bondage, the Lord came and defeated him and led him away captive and set us free. And in doing so, he also gave gifts unto men. So the Lord that died and that resurrected and that brought us this liberty, he's given gifts to his people. So... He says here in verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. In Corinthians, He's given the the image of a body that as our bodies that honestly, fearfully, wonderfully made and pieced together, but our bodies that are so marvelous as they work in a whole, they have different members that have different offices. They're all a part of the same body. They're all important. They're all necessary. But they're all different in and of themselves. So here, he's given these uh, members. He's given these gifts to the church. And do you see what the gifts are? The prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles. This was all given by God Almighty. There, if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus, there would be no apostles. If it wasn't for the Lord, there would be no prophets. If it wasn't for the Lord, there'd be no preachers. There'd be no gospel to be preached. So, even though there's this equality, there's different offices in the church. And over and over again, he's talking about these offices, these jobs, this grace that God's given to men to fulfill and to accomplish these. I've said this all along. If God calls a man to preach, He'll equip him and enable him to preach. If God calls a man to be a teacher, He'll equip him and enable him to be a teacher. And God is the one that is giving these gifts to the church. Now, does that make one above another? Is there any difference? They're still saved and brought in the same way. But as my body has eyes that see and hands that feel and that are able to pick up is one more important than another? To the body, they're necessary. They're both necessary. And in Corinthians, he says it this way. If all of the body were eyes, then where would the hearing be? If everybody was preachers, then where would the singers be? If everybody were singers, then where would the preachers be? If, if everybody was teachers. So you see, it takes all different members to make up the body that it operate as it ought to. And he says here, he gave these for the perfecting of the saints. Do you know what his desire was in giving these gifts for the growth for the completion, for the the help of the church of the living God. And so you think about these offices now. They're still not one above another. But here's a man that God has equipped to teach. You know why he's equipped to teach? Does that make him better than somebody that's not? Here's a man that's called to preach. Does that make him better than the other men that's not called to preach? Here's a man that's serving as a deacon. Does that make him better than somebody else that's not a deacon? No, they're not better. But it's the office and the place that God has given them to serve in the church. Here's my eye. My eye is made to see and to take in what's round about me. My eye is important to the operation of my body. Is it more important than my foot? If I lose my eye, it's going to hurt, hurt the function of my body. If I lose my foot, it's going to hurt the function of my body. And so, as a whole now, the body is put together in such a way God has given gifts to provide for the need of the body that the body might function as it ought to. God has provided and given these gifts to the church that the church might grow and be more like the Lord and more established in the truth day by day. He's given these for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying, the building up of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in the Corinthians, he set some in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Have all the gifts of healing? Did God give these gifts to everybody? No, He didn't. But He's given these gifts to those that they might serve in the church. And listen, if, if we can't say anything else, then know this, that the gift and the calling that God has given to this individual that does not put that person in one way ahead, above, or better than anybody else that's in the church. Sometimes it gets in man's head. Well, without this person, the church won't function. I'm afraid that thinking, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. Without the Lord, the church won't function. Without God's leadership, the church won't function. But I'm telling you, man, man's, God's given gifts... God's given men ability. He's given them places to serve and to work and to labor. Uh, But it's not the man that is accomplishing the work. The eyes ought to always be on God and recognize that these men, even Paul the apostle, do you know why we have the wonderful writings of the apostle that can help and lead us? I, I don't know that I could put into words what a help that The writings of Paul the Apostle have been to me to help me to understand and grow and know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I don't bow down and thank Paul for this. You know why? Because Paul was a Jew and he was serving through the law and was persecuting the church. And God stopped him. And God revealed the truth to him. And God saved him. And God called him to preach. He told Ananias, he said, this man is a chosen vessel of mine and he's going to go preach this gospel to the Gentiles. It was God that gave Paul to the church. So as I read Paul's writings, do you know where my mind goes? God, I thank you for the Word of God. And so, whether it be a teacher, whether it be preaching, whether it be a testimony or a song, we ought to say, God, we thank you for the gifts that you've provided to the church and let our eyes always be towards Him. Because when eyes, when eyes are set on man and on the flesh, that's when things begin to go astray. There's not one above another in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he says in the Corinthians, even our parts that are less comely, less beautiful, the parts of our bodies that we want to keep covered up, the parts of our bodies that we don't want anybody to see, you know what they are? They're important to the body. You can't do without that. And so, as the church is, There's those that everybody sees, that everybody recognizes. Uh, You know, Frank gets up and teaches. He can be blessed by God and teach a wonderful Sunday school. Our hearts be strengthened or encouraged by that Word of God and everybody takes notice of that. But you know, also in the body, there's those parts that don't get noticed. There's those parts that don't get seen by the multitude of man. You know what though? They are just as important as the man that's up teaching. The man that's up teaching is important. The man that's up preaching, I believe that's important as well. But you know, just as important to that are the people in the church that go unnoticed a lot of times. God's put them all in the body for a purpose and for a cause that the work of God be done in this world. Amen for the perfecting of the saints that everybody grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've said this before and I really believe this to be the truth. If God shows me something in the Scripture, that is not for me to exalt myself and say, look at what I saw and what I know. But if God gives something to you, He's given it to you that you might share it to the church. That the church might be strengthened and helped by this. That we might, you know, you think about this. You think about how the body cares for itself. I can turn a corner too soon and run my shoulder into a door frame and you know my hand, my hand will go up there and rub that. I can cut myself and my other handle. Hold that shut. You know what? That's that's the body caring for itself. That's the way the church ought to be. Why, preacher, they're not important. It don't matter if they're down. It don't matter if their feelings is hurt. It don't matter if they're sad. I'm telling you, that's that's a terrible way to think. Because if God has set them as members in the body, it's the body's job to care for itself. Even the lesser members. I I don't even mean to say that. That That sounds bad to even say. But in the eyes of man, the lesser members, the weaker members. Do you know why they're weak? because they've got the strength that God gave them. They didn't have anything before. I didn't have anything before. You didn't have anything before. My fingers are not as strong as my biceps, and my biceps are not as strong as my thighs are. These are the strong men. You know why that is? That's the way they were made. My arms are not meant to carry weight like my legs are that's the way the body was designed and put together are there some that are stronger there are are there some that are weaker there are are there some that are more beautiful to the eyes of man there are there are some that are more admirable, admirable to man's eyes are there some that don't look like anything that we desire to keep hid and covered up there are in the body, there's all of those. But they are all in Christ Jesus, an equal part of the body and just as important to the rest of the body as any other ones. There's not one ever that's above another. God forbid that we ever think that there's one more important than the other down at the house of God. God forbid that we ever exalt ourselves above somebody else down at the house of God. If God's give you strength, it's to strengthen somebody else. If God's helped you, it's to help somebody else. It is for the the ministry. Of the saints, the work of the ministry, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ go out in this world. You remember what the Lord told Peter? He said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter, you're going to go through a great trial and a great hardship. You're going to deny me and you're going to be hated and you're going to be looked down on but know this, I'm going to keep you through that and you're going to go through it so that you can help somebody else that's going to go through that. Why are we here? God's brought us here. Why are we going through what we're going through? God's allowed us to. And it's so that we might be a help and a strength to somebody else that's in the body. Well, I'm not interested in being a help. Well, that's not... I'm telling you, you stub your toe, your body will look to comfort that that's hurting. You Charlie, horse your leg, you hit your shin on your ball hitch, you knock your head against the door, and your body will look to comfort and care for that whether anybody can see it or not. And so that's the way the church is made and put together. And listen, I'm not just talking about natural things, but for the spiritual needs of man that we all might grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) The perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry. How does this gospel go out? Ministry, it means it means to serve, to be a servant. When you read ministers in the New Testament, I know when we hear minister, we think of a preacher. We think, well, ministry, those that are in the ministry, that's talking about preachers. But if you were in this day and you read that word, it had a different meaning. It meant a servant. Maybe even this. This is the way we would say it, a a waiter. To wait tables. To be a servant to somebody else. You know that's what the church is. The Lord Jesus came down and we're talking about the, the, the Savior of the body. The Lord Jesus Christ. He came down and the night before He's going to be crucified, do you know what the Lord was doing? He was there in the upper room with His disciples and He girded a towel around His waist and he got down on his hands and knees and he done the job of the lowest servant in Jerusalem in that day. He washed the feet of the disciples. And do you know why the Lord did that? He said, look, I'm doing this for you. I want you to take a lesson from this as I've done to you, so you do to others. Just as the Lord came down and gave His life for our salvation, may we desire to give our life and to give our time and to give our effort to benefit the rest of the body. He's not asking us to do what He's not done for the work of the ministry, that this work of getting the gospel out be accomplished. And we're not just talking about in the pulpit at the church either. This ministry goes out to our community. You know, there's a part of this ministry... It works at the DOT in Marshall. There's a part of this ministry that works at Brush Creek Elementary School. There was a part that worked at French Broad Electric. There's a part that works at Mission Hospital. The Lord's put people... Why, preacher, we're just there. It's just a little job. I'm telling you, God's put everybody exactly where they are for a purpose and for a cause in this world. It's that the ministry, that the good news of the Lord Jesus go out. And I'd like for you to be equipped when you're on the job the next day. I'd like for you to be equipped to be a help to somebody else. That the ministry the work of this ministry be done. Yeah. Well, I don't want to serve so and so. They weren't nice to me. Well, you weren't always nice to God and he served you. Right. So you know what God says? If I've ever put up with you, you put up with somebody else. Right. If I've ever been long suffering with you, you be long suffering with somebody else if I've ever shown you mercy then you be merciful with somebody else and not for no reason but that the gospel the new good news of the gospel might be seen and exalted the perfecting of the saints the work of the ministry the edifying of the body of Christ building up a lot a lot of what goes on and this is just the truth is man trying to tear down somebody else? That's that's a lot of what goes on. And I realize I, I can see I can see the logic of it. Well, if it's other devil, it ought to be torn down. And I, I agree with that. It ought to be. But we ought not lose sight of this. We're here for the spiritual edification, the spiritual building up of one another. I want you to be helped and you should want somebody else to be helped. I should never say, boy, uh, old Joyce, she needs to learn her lesson. I think I may teach her one. What if the Lord said that today? I'm going to teach old Joseph a lesson. You know what I'll do? I'll get down on my knees and beg God not to do that. Be merciful with me. Don't treat me as I've treated you, but treat me with mercy and help me. That ought to be our mindset to the rest of the body. So that as as we labor, no matter what our position or our calling might be, whether it be one that's edified and that is admirable or it be one that's, Hidden and covered up, let us do all to the glory of the Lord that saved us. If the preacher's going to preach, he ought to do it, that the Lord be exalted. If the teacher's going to teach, he ought to do it, that the Lord be exalted and the church be held. And you know, you think, well, the the adult class, that's more important than out here with the young'uns. That's just, that's not true. God's provided an adult teacher, but He's provided children's teachers for the children that the work of this ministry be done. They can be taught on their level. We can be taught on our level. And everybody that comes to church Sunday morning might be built up a little more in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ till we all come in the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a goal that's in mind. Now you read that. When are we ever going to be there? Does it look like I'm going to be there in the next five years? The unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is what he's saying. It's like a growth chart there at your house on the wall. And daddy's height is marked out on that growth chart. And the kids, they they want to measure. I want to measure and see how close I'm getting to what daddy is. You can see that picture. And they measure up and they say, well, I've still got a little ways to grow before I'm to daddy's height. Well, he's saying, do that with the Lord Jesus. Now, you look at yourself spiritually and you measure up to the Lord Jesus Christ, how far are we from being like Him? Now, we'll never be there in this world. So do you know what that means? There'll always be work to do. There'll always be people that need teaching. There'll always be people that need preaching. There'll always be lost people that need to hear the good news. There'll always be family that needs the light of the gospel shine to them. There'll always be work to do down at the church. There's not a place to retire. There's not a place to quit. There's not a place that the work is going to be done. Isaiah said famously, how long Lord? Isaiah go and cry to my people and and warn them of the judgments to come. And Isaiah says, how long? And the Lord says, till there's nobody left. You cry down to the very last person. You cry until there's nobody left to hear you. How long are we gonna labor? I tell you, we're gonna labor till the very last breath of this body. But know this today, there's a retirement that's coming. Amen. Uh, this this world's retirement, your best life is spent working, and when it's all falling apart, that's when you get to stay at the house. Yeah. And you barely draw anything. And you worry whether you're going to make it. And you worked all that time for, for that. I'm not trying to be mean or put down. I'm hoping to retire one day too. But it's, it's the truth. But I tell you this work. There is retirement that's coming. The work is very temporary. And the day's coming that the work is going to be done. I'm going to shed this body. I'm going to shed this life and I'm going to enter into the eternal rest of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at best, at best, I'm 36. If I live 50 years, I've lived a long life. At best, I've got 50 years left to labor before retirement comes, before I lay this man down. So let us do this. Let us work what time we've got left for the good of the church, for the edification of one another, the building up of the body of Christ, that the work of this ministry that the Lord has called us into, that it would be accomplished and completed. May the Lord ever help us to do so.